All right, I want you, we are in 1 Thessalonians, so you could turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, but when you're there, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1, which is actually where we're going to begin today as far as going through the text. All right? God has given us his word. It's a marvelous, marvelous book. And some of the Bible is actually written, now we know all the Bibles, there are things we can glean from all of scripture, we know that. But some of the Bible is actually written to specific groups of people. And uh, a bunch of the New Testament is written to local churches, just like ours. Imagine if God said, okay, I'm going to have a special letter written to Northland Bible Baptist Church, and I'm going to address it. Now, a lot of people could benefit from that letter, but it would be addressed to us. Well, the book of Philippians is one of those, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and there's many others written to local churches of believers who God wanted them to know certain truth, and so by the hand of the Apostle Paul or someone else, he gives them these truths that are so incredibly important. Now, I've entitled this today, The Boomerang Effect. The Boomerang Effect. And let me begin by saying this. There must be unity for any group to effectively accomplish its work. We see that in government. We see that in corporations and businesses, big businesses, small businesses, family. It doesn't matter whatever group you're dealing with, any kind of employment, whatever group you're dealing with, to effectively accomplish the work, there's got to be unity. Now, while we have a responsibility to do the best that we personally can, and a lot of Christians don't even do that. But even if we are committed to doing the best that we can do, we often overlook the responsibility we have, listen carefully, to help others be successful, okay? To help others be successful. That's part of what God wants us to be doing. For if we do that, it will make it better for everyone involved, not just us, but also for those other people. After all, what do we have, folks? We, as the church of Jesus Christ, have the greatest purpose in all the world, and that is to share the gospel of grace with the lost and dying world. The world is going, literally, the world is going to hell. I don't use that lightly or in a, in a slang kind of way. God says for those who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. And he has entrusted into our hands, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. And so we see this call for unity in Scripture and purpose. In Philippians 1.27, Paul says this, only let your conversation, and that means here, it doesn't just mean your talk. It has a bigger meaning in the King James Bible, okay? The conversation means the, the manner of life. It involves not only our talk, but also our walk. Only let your conversation be as it becometh or as worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now watch what he says. This is what I want to hear of you guys, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, that's unity, those things, doing what? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Many purposes we could give ourselves to as a church, none as great as what's called the great commission. Leading people to Christ, 
and then training those people that we've led to Christ to be godly people who lead others to Christ. That's, that's the whole ball of wax. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to fast about it. You don't have to sit and meditate about it. God has made it clear. Evangelism, discipleship. That's the purpose of the church. Evangelism, discipleship. You might say, just two things? I mean, that won't take very long. <laughs> well, uh, dear friend, you know what? I wouldn't verbalize that because it'll show your ignorance. Um, there are 7 billion people plus who need what I just said. And it's going to take a lot longer than your lifetime and my lifetime. We need to get at it. One spirit, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul continues to write to these people. And you know, one of the things as I've been going through this this time and in, in, in preaching it, one of the things I've noticed that I get, I get baffled sometimes with myself. And by the way, do you ever get baffled with yourself? Anybody raise your hand? Okay, that, woo, I'm glad you raised your hand. I was starting to get scared there for a minute. The only one to getting self-baffled. But um, as I have gone through this time, you know what I'm finding in, in Thessalonians Paul is just in love with these people. And he's just got such good things to say about them. Okay, they were a great encouragement to him. Think about what I just said, as we're going to see as we go through. Now, as the, as the text continues, 1 Thessalonians 3.1, it says, Wherefore, when we, Paul and his missionary team, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. So he stayed in Athens. And he sent Timotheus, or Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. I could preach a whole message just on what I just read about Timothy, some of the qualities he had as a young pastor. I sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, or minister means servant, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So let's look at a few things here today. The first is this. Notice that Paul sent Timothy to help them. He sent Timothy to help the saints at Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, in particular in two areas. Number one, to establish them. Now, what does that mean? It means to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. So Timothy had the responsibility of getting with them and teaching them the truth and getting them solid and getting them firm in their faith. Remember, they were not believers for very long at this point. Somewhere between one and two years, we think. We're not totally sure, but that's, that's our best guess at this. One to two years. So here's the point. There's a responsibility there. It's not enough just to lead a soul to Christ. What we need to do is say, okay, now that person is a child of God. They're born into God's family. They're my brother. They're my sister. Now what I need to do is I need to look and see what can I do to help them grow as a believer. Now I know there are people who say, well, listen, just mind your own business. And what I would say to that is, I am. God gave me that as my business and folks, you know what? We need to understand, not to be pushy or nosy or bossy, but we need to understand that we need to have a concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to have a concern. And by the way, if I just said that and you thought this in your mind, because it's natural for us to do this, yes, I wish somebody would care for me. Can I say this? Yes. And somebody would love you to care for them. 
We need to see the whole picture, don't we? Now, there is only one way he could establish them, and it was by teaching them the word of God. And the Thessalonians, they wanted to grow. We see that in scripture. They received the word of God. We saw in chapter two, verse 13, they received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They were excited to receive it. They were excited to learn the scriptures. And as a result, of course, they were growing. But not only was he sent to establish them, something else. He was also sent to comfort them. To comfort them. For what reason? Well, persecution. That's why. You see, here's the truth of it, folks. When we decide to be what God wants us to be as Christians... We are going to start verbalizing the gospel. We are going to start sharing our faith with others. We're going to start living a godly life. And as we do that in a world hostile towards the things of God, it will draw some and will reach some. But the numbers, generally speaking, in Scripture are most people aren't going to want it. And so that is going to cause a friction with the world. Jesus talked about it. He said, Don't be surprised with this. This is the way it's going to be. But Timothy came to comfort them, verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and ye know." It was because of their faithfulness to what they believed that they were suffering persecution. And Timothy was sent to comfort them during that time. You know what? Christians who are being persecuted, who feel like they're alone, it's easy for them to get discouraged and to fall by the wayside. Now, the word comfort here, by the way, is the very word describing the person of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave when he said, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a comforter. Another comforter's coming, and it's the Holy Spirit. I want you to hold your place and look at this with me over in John chapter 14, in verse 26. Jesus said this, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And then I love verse 27, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is come. The Holy Spirit's going to comfort you. Now you might say, well, how is, he, how is he going to do that? Well, one way is obvious, directly. In other words, when we are in times of difficulty and discouragement and under persecution, the thoughts come and the sense of the presence of God can come into your life. And that is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, by the way. He lives inside of us as believers today. That is him, and you might say, speaking up and reminding us of things. But I want you to get something else here today. In the context, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, In reality, listen, Timothy was the conduit that the Holy Spirit used. Did you catch what I said? Yes, the Holy Spirit will comfort us. 
But folks, you know, many times the way the Holy Spirit comforts us is through other believers who are concerned for us. Other believers who are there to be an encouragement. Now, let me just throw this in and then I'll move on. Listen, people can't read our minds, okay? And as we get older, we become more expert at hiding how we feel or what we're struggling with or this or that. Let me say this. Not, not, I'm not saying let's all become experts at whining, okay? And when I say whining, I mean complaining, not drinking booze. If you are struggling, hurting, get some help. Talk to somebody, okay? Somebody you can trust, somebody who can be an encouragement to you. But what we all ought to do, folks, we ought to be sensitive to the people around us and, and say, you know what, boy, so-and-so just, you know, they kind of look, they kind of look like they're down in the mouth. You know, it's like the dog that bit the duck on the tail. He got down in the mouth. And um, thank you, Beth. I appreciate that. <laughs> but the point Timothy was to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to use to bring comfort to his people. Let's make this personal. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? Have you ever realized that that is part of the ministry you have as a Christian, is to be the hands and feet of the Holy Spirit in the life of another person? You know what that can do, folks? When we start getting a handle on that, that can change our lives. It can be incredibly important. Now, The greatest place I know of and the place ordained by God to give this and receive this is the local church. And Paul is talking to a local church about this very issue. Now, why is that so important? Well, I'll tell you why that's important. Because folks, if we're not here, it doesn't happen. Now, I know that doesn't mean people don't make phone call and send texts and emails and all that. I get that, and and I understand all that, okay? But what I'm saying, though, the face-to-face, one-on-one contact with people, all right? There is not one time that takes place, not one service that takes place in this church to where, you know, we're usually here early at church and and when, when people come, people start coming in and seeing them and, hey, how you doing? And this and that. All of a sudden, there is a spirit of encouragement in the air. Do you get that? Do you understand what I'm talking about? At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay. So there's a spirit of encouragement. That's by design. Listen, if you don't come, you don't get it. Now, I know we have people who watch uh, our streaming and people watching right now and people who will watch our uh, videos, you know, uh, and get the instruction and all of those things. And I am so glad that we have people watching and listening. I really am. And, you know, some of those people, they can't find a church in their area that is doctrinally sound and that can be a blessing to them like we're talking about this. Folks, we ought to cherish our local church. Okay? Don't think of ways to not come. It shows your spiritual condition. You're messed up, simply put. Think of ways to keep from not coming. In other words, boy, I want to be sure that I'm there. Man, when the doors are open, I want to be there. Why? Because it's not just about us receiving. It's also about us giving, being encouragers to other people. Hebrews chapter 10, turn there with me. You might say, well, you know what, I, that all sounds good, but you know, most Christians I know are a mess. Well, 
we're all a mess. But you see, the beauty of the word of God and the body of Christ is that there's the grace of God, there's the help of God, there's the word of God, there's the promises of God. In spite of our shortcomings, God still wants to use us to be a blessing to other people. If you're saved, I'm talking to you. I'm not only talking to me, I'm talking to you. Because this is part of your ministry, dear friend, to be one of the tools that the Holy Spirit uses in the life of the church to bring comfort and help to other people. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, let us consider one another, one another, see that? To provoke, that means to stir up. We think of provoking as something negative, you know, like you're pushing somebody or pointing them in the chest. Boy, don't you hate that? You ever get poked by somebody in the chest? I don't know what you're... I, I get tempted to have a carnal spasm and just punch their lights out, you know? I, I, don't poke me in the chest. But anyways, what are we supposed to do? We are to provoke means to stir up, but not in a negative way. Look what it says. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It was happening in his day. But exhorting, there it is, one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The days are getting dark. Do we understand it? The days are getting darker. Now listen, I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I can tell you to, to look at some stuff and folks, as things are getting more difficult and things are, we are losing little by little our, our liberties here in America. I heard a man interviewed, he's a pastor and philosopher or whatever from Scotland. I heard him on the radio this week. And I don't know his doctrinal stance or anything like that, but he was being asked by the interviewer because we were talking about the recent legislation that was signed about killing babies, murdering babies. And how when Governor Cuomo signed, signed that legislation, how the people stood up and shouted and clapped. And Do you understand what that was? That was people enthusiastically endorsing the killing of babies. That's what that is. It's murder, folks. It's murder. Now, how long is God going to allow that to take place in our country? And then you've got this other governor, the same issues. You know, even if a baby's born alive and there's something wrong or the abortion didn't go right, what do you do? Well, once the baby's out, then what do you do? Do you save the life? It says, well, it depends. What? What? You know how wicked and evil that is in the eyes of God? Now, listen, if you're here and you've had an abortion, listen, there's the grace of God and there is forgiveness and God wants to help you and restore you and comfort you and get you back on your feet. People do wrong things. That's, that's what sin is, doing wrong things, okay? We get that. But here's the point. Let's see it from God's perspective and then it doesn't happen. Then we won't do it. That's what we're getting at. But the man said this. Here's my point. The uh, interviewer said this. Well, do you think, when do you think God is going to step in? How long do you think it's going to be before God is going to judge America? Before judgment comes on America? Now, listen, I can't guarantee what I'm about to say, but it's an interesting thought, and I don't discount it at all. As a matter of fact, he may very well be right. He said, judgment has already come. Because Romans 1 says that God gives them up to a reprobate mind to do things that are not fitting or seemly. 
Okay. In other words, God gives the people up because of their rebellious nature and their wickedness and their antagonism towards the truth of God. God gives them up to, okay, that's the way you want it. Go ahead. Basically, go ahead and destroy yourself. And isn't that, doesn't that seem like that's the direction we're going right now? Insanity in this nation as far as morals go. Did you see the State of the Union? It was supposed to be the state of the union, not the state of a bunch of women dressed in white clothes. And that was the focus. Something's wrong in America, folks. Something's wrong in America. We need help. We need help. Listen, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. I'm talking about the the truth of God, the word of God, the standards that God has given us for society. If we forsake those things, we will be destroyed. Now let's get back to the local church, which ought to know better, by the way. Getting back to this idea of unity and being effective and helping one another. Have you ever wondered why the Canadian geese fly only in the V formation? Listen to this. For years, specialists in aerodynamics wondered the same thing. Two engineers calibrated in a wind tunnel what happens in such a V formation. Each goose, in flapping his wings, creates an upward lift for the goose that follows. When all the geese do their part in the V formation, the whole flock has a, get this, 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. Each depends upon the other to get to its destination. Something else. When a goose begins to lag behind, the others honk it back into place. I can hear them now, can't you? (laughs) Now, let us learn from God's animal creation. The church needs to fly in a spiritual V formation, honking one another into steadfastness, and it must be at least 71% easier to live the faithful Christian life flying with the flock as opposed to going it alone. Folks, we need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. That's the way God designed it. And we are going to fly much more successfully and for a longer period of time if we are seeing our responsibility seriously. But we can't do it if we're not here. Okay? Now, hardship and persecution, getting back to that, are a normal part of the dedicated Christian life. Jesus said in John chapter 15, in verse 18, he says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. He goes on, he says, remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. Don't be surprised, Christians, as we stand lovingly, yes, appropriately, with wisdom, and stand for the truth of God and share the gospel and and, and live for Christ, that there are people who are going to be convicted by that, even enraged by that. Don't be surprised. It was, it was no different in the day of Jesus. 
Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says this, verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. So this is interesting. Verse 6, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, love, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. See, here's what happened. Paul says, I'm concerned about these new believers. I mean, they got off to a great start. I'm excited for them. But you know what? There's persecution going on. So Timothy, I want you to go back and I want you to help them and establish them and comfort them and do what you can to keep them on track. (laughs) And then word gets back and it's like, listen, no worries. Man, we're going great guns for Christ. We want you to know things are really going well. Here. And so what did the church do? Now remember, Paul took the initiative. He sent out Timothy. He sent to help them. And what happened? What came back to him? Number two, the church sent great encouragement back to him. See, here's the point, folks. Paul's care and attention for this church resulted in him and his co-workers being blessed. We don't usually think in those terms. We usually think in terms of, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But do we ever realize that, you know what? When we do what we're supposed to do, it's going to come back to us. That's the boomerang effect. By the way, I I did some research this week. There's different kinds of boomerangs. I am talking about the boomerang that comes back. Not all boomerangs come back. Did you know that? I found that out this week. Not all boomerangs come. And it isn't just because of not throwing it right. But if you've ever gotten a hold of a boomerang and you throw it right, isn't it an amazing thing when that thing comes back? It's like, how does that work? How does it work? Well, that's the laws of physics. And who designed that? God did, so that's why it works. But you know what? There is a spiritual boomerang that goes on in the life of a Christian who's dedicated to Jesus Christ. As we throw out encouragement and blessing and help and instruction and love to other people, you know what happens, folks? That comes back around to us. We threw this out, we get benefits back. We throw blessing out, we get blessing back. It comes back to us. They were being a blessing, and as a result, it came back on them. We see that in verses 6 through 8. And Paul says in verse 8, and I think it's a a powerful statement, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. You might say, what does that mean? Well, to understand verse 8 better, I think the opposite would be this way, and I think it helps us understand it better. If you fall by the wayside, it would kill us. That's how much love he had for them. If you fall by the wayside, it'll kill me. Let me say this, in case any of you have ever wondered about this. Pastors have feelings just like anyone else. They're shepherds. And you know what, folks? It's very grievous. It's a terrible, sad situation when somebody decides who knows better, they're going to start pursuing a path that's going to lead them out of the church. Now that happens, by the way, one step at a time. It usually doesn't happen overnight. It usually takes time for that to take place. 
And that's a very sad thing, but you can't control people's lives. Listen, we're all in this together. We need to stay strong. When the sheep take in the word of God and they follow it, God can transform the life. And when we see God's blessings in the life of another believer, what does it do? It brings joy to us. It brings joy to us. That's why John said in 3 John 1 verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's the truth of it right there. You don't know what it's like, folks. We've got many people in this church who got saved through this ministry here. You don't know what it's like to see what God does in your life over time, over years, and as God matures you and grows you up. That's a testimony to the grace of God and the word of God. That's what that's a testimony to. How exciting that is. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you, it shall make you free. And we love people to enjoy the freedom that Christ brings. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 9, Paul says, for what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God. He says, you all, listen, the church, you got led to Christ. The church got going. You started getting persecuted. I sent Timothy to help you because I was concerned. And I get word back that you guys are doing fabulous. He says, I can't express to you the joy that gives us to know that's happening. But you know what? If Paul didn't care about them, he wouldn't have gotten a blessing. See, when we give of ourselves and do what God would have us to do, there's a boomerang effect. We give it out. It comes back around. Let's go on, number three. There's an application for us today. We see it in verses 11 through 13. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Referring to the rapture of the church. By the way, this is the last verse in chapter 13. Every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with talking about the rapture of the church. But here's the application that we see in these closing verses. Are we bearing fruit? Are we living our lives for Christ and his values or are we living for our own agendas? Do we care about the rest of the flock? Are we helping other believers live for Christ through encouragement and instruction? Listen, folks, you may be a believer here today. Let me ask you this. Does your Christianity go any further than you or you and your family? Does it go to other people? Are we living to make their lives better? For the lost, sharing the gospel, helping them any way we can. For the saved, being a source of encouragement and comfort and strength for them. The Lord also wants us to be an active part in his plan for the local church. And by the way, according to these verses, how long should it go on? Till Jesus comes back. You know what that means? That means you don't drop out. You don't quit. You don't go someplace else. What you do is you say, Lord, if I don't have a desire to fulfill my responsibilities by your grace, there's something wrong with me, not the people around me. This is the way God would have us to think. They might say, well, 
I don't have an office. I don't have a title. I don't have this. I don't have that in our local church. Well, can I tell you this? We only have so many positions, number one. But number two, that's not the issue. People who are Sunday school teachers and people who are ministry leaders and all that, there's not a one of them who started that way. Not a one of them. They started just like all of us start. Lost sinners in need of a savior. And when you understand the gospel, which I'll explain just a moment, you put your faith in Christ and then you start growing, then God starts working in your life to change you and to mold you into the person he wants you to be. But can I tell you this, regardless of whether you've got any official capacity in this ministry or not, let me give you very quickly seven things, seven areas of application that can not only revolutionize your life, it can empower and change our ministry here for the better. And any Christian who takes these things in can be benefited from it. Let me give them to you very quickly. Number one, you might say, well, I, you know, my job doesn't permit me to be here as much as I want, okay? I understand that, but let me ask you this. Have you ever considered praying for a different job? That's something I've seen over the years many times, and God does amazing things in that regard. I just throw that out. I just throw that out to you. But here's seven things areas of application we can all do. Number one, we can witness to the lost. Has nothing to do with having an office or a title. By the way, you've got a really good title as a Christian. You're an ambassador for Christ. Number one, witness to the lost. Number two, encourage other believers. Encourage other believers, okay? Number three, faithfully come to be a part of the church. When you are here, the church is better than when you're not. Can I tell you that? Now, I know you're hearing that, and you're here. <laughs> for those who aren't here, they're probably not hearing it and may not hear it. Number four, you can pray. Anybody can pray. We need to pray, okay? Number five, invite others to church. Invite others to church. Have them come with you. Or if they drive themselves, have them come. Number six, support the church financially. Support the church financially. And number seven, love one another. Witness, encourage, come, pray, invite, support, love. Witness to the lost, encourage other believers, faithfully come to and be a part of church, pray, invite others to church, support the church financially, love one another. What a profound effect that will have. Now, that in mind, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You may possibly be here and you may think, well, you know what? (laughs) Man alive, I thought just church was a stuffy place where everybody was gloomy and and they're kind of dead and they endure it and no 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 those are the other religions okay that's not the true church the true church that is being what it ought to be there ought to be an enthusiasm and a zeal and an excitement and and an air of encouragement there but what causes that god is the one who causes that see friend god wants you in his family but there's a problem it's called sin and You have to have Jesus Christ as your Savior to be part of God's family. If you want to know for sure you're going to heaven, please listen very carefully to what I'm about to explain. I want to share with you how you can biblically become a true believer in Jesus Christ, a Christian, okay? This hand representing you and me. Watch this illustration. This helped me understand it. This wallet representing our sin. God says we're all sinners, Yet the Bible tells us God loves us. He does hate our sin. You see, our sin separates us from God. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless, and none of us are. We're sinners. 
And God says, therefore, you are, you'll never get there. Your sin, your sin is a problem, has to be paid for. Now, religion says, okay, well, I know what I'll do. I'll behave myself. I'll reform my life. I'll do good works. But nowhere in the Bible does it say good works pays for sin. To get to heaven, you have to be without sin, yet none of us are. And if we die with our sin, God says our sin has to be punished. We'll be lost forever in hell, the wages of sin being death. But see, that's not what God wants for you and me. He loves us. He loves us. I heard a pastor just this week say this. I thought it was profound. He says, you know, if God, if God really wanted to give people a hard time and make it tough for them to go to heaven, he would tell them, be good. Why? Because you got to be perfect. So who would make it? Nobody would. That's why it's a gift. That's why salvation is a free gift, okay? Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. God himself entered the human race, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who is sinless. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for our sin, leaving us no sin to pay for, none. He paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future. He was buried and came back from the dead. And he says, if you will believe that he did that for you, you're putting your trust in him that he made that payment for you. The moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. The payment he made is good on your behalf, okay? He puts his payment to your account, paid in full. All your sins are paid for. If all your sins are gone, could you go to heaven? Yes, But see, that payment's only good when you trust in him or believe in him that he did that for you. And when you do, your sins are taken away. He gives you eternal life. Look at it in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this, For by grace, God's unmerited favor, for by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, you're not saved of yourselves, it is the gift of God, it is not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you trust in him today? John 3.16 puts it this way. Watch this. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting? Yes. What does that mean? It's everlasting. Never stops. The moment you believe, he gives it to you as a gift. It'll never stop. That means you're saved forever and you can know you're going to heaven because of that. 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. Won't you trust in Christ today as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and God bless you.